Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. A little bit later than I wanted to be, but I've been chasing info for you. That's part of the deal. It's tough recording back-to-back days. I'll be honest with you. I'm not Brian does it. I really don't. And uh, Robbie, of course, too. But uh, it's one of those things, man. My show is a little bit longer, but the reality of it is it's tough back-to-back days because you think, okay, I covered this yesterday. I got to give people something fresh. So I've got you an up, a new update on your pitching coach search. I've already shared most of this over on the jeanspage.com message boards. And that's the thing, too. You know, we're going to do our best. Anytime that we have information about something that's sensitive, we're going to go there with it first. We're going to write an article. We're going to put it on the message board. So if you want to stay up to date on all the goings-on at Mississippi State when it comes to athletics, jeanspage.com is the way to go. So uh, a lot has happened. Uh, there are some still th- th- things to happen. We're not quite there yet. In our first segment of the show, I'm going to update you on what I've learned, uh, what I think is going to happen, and what you need to be prepared for. But uh, it is still very much a process. i got a lot of faith in Chris Simonis. I know many of you don't. I still do. And uh, I know that Chris is out there working diligently to find the right pitching coach to help turn this thing around. And I, here's the reality, guys. You know, pitching wasn't our only problem. It was our biggest problem, but it wasn't our only problem. But it all starts with pitching. I know some other people say, Steve, I mean, come on, that's not true. No, it's true. It all works hand in hand. We had some bad defense, especially on the left side, and that in turn makes pitchers have to work longer and harder. And the more pitches you throw, the more likely you are to make a mistake. And when we did, we paid for it more times than not. Uh, But, yeah, there were some times, too, that our clutch hitting gene kind of disappeared. So we got other problems. But the first step in our recovery process is to identify – and hire the best pitching coach possible and allow him to work in concert with our returning pitchers and our incoming pitchers to get this thing turned around. So, again, that's not the only problem, but it is the biggest problem and the first step uh, we need to take as a program. That is top of the to-do list. And in the middle of all this, your coaches are on the road out seeing portal prospects, and they're up in the Cape and things like that, going out and see summer baseball, uh, trying to identify some players and come in here and make a difference for you. So there's no rest for the weary, shall we say. That's SEC baseball, man. That's how it is. Everybody else is out there getting ready to go play in Omaha. Some of our contemporaries, some teams that we don't like, some teams that we beat, some teams that beat us, they're out there getting ready to play. And like all of you, it stinks, man. It just does. It just. I, I'm just like you. It really, really irritates me that we're not playing right now. It does. Uh, but the reality of it is, this is where we are. And we can sit around and say, hey, we should make a coaching change. We should do this, you know, um, you know, whatever. You know, we should put Bully up for adoption. All those things don't matter anymore. They don't. That's not to say that you're not entitled to think that. I mean, there are a lot of things that I think I don't share. But the reality of it is, is we have made a decision as a university and as an athletic department. Zach Selman's one that makes that call to Chris Monis is back. And so, in my estimation, the best thing we can do is support them. I don't know that it behooves anybody to get out there and talk negatively about the coach. We are, it's well documented, the struggle we've had the last two years. And so, you know, my hope is with the right coach, uh, we got some guys coming back to it. And a stat that I uncovered yesterday that is kind of shocking, I think it's going to shock you too. And I'm a guy that follows this baseball program as closely as anybody. Do you know how many pitchers we had last year? I mean, how many pitchers did I have if we threw innings last year? You want to take a guess? I'll give you a second to think about it. I'm not going to give you time to count, though. 
Okay, time's up. We had 17 pitchers last year that pitched innings for us. 17. How many of those do you believe were first-year pitchers for us, first-year Bulldogs? You got it? Yeah, it's 13. 13 of 17 pitchers were first-year Bulldogs. And in almost every case, the first time they faced SEC hitting. And some of those guys, the first time they faced Division I hitting above the high school level. And all of a sudden you start thinking, why didn't we think about this before? And uh, I've talked to somebody that has had a conversation with Coach Foxhall recently, and he talked about many of these guys are going to take a jump, uh, period, no matter who the pitching coach is, just because now they've seen it. You know, they've seen it up close. And that's the thing about pitching in this conference and hitting in this conference you got the best college coaches in America breaking down your film and examining your tendencies and trying to exploit that. So you can see how people are attacking you and then adjust. And so you're going to see some guys not only mature mentally, mature physically, mechanically. And so right out of the gate, you hope that you've kind of got a running start. So no matter who the pitching coach is, you should see some appreciable improvement just because of the fact you've got a year of SEC experience under your belt. And not all experience is good, right? Right? It's true. Not every experience is good. But when you have a chance to go out there and maybe wrap your arms around this thing and just see how weighty the load is, it's a big difference. It really is. That's important to understand. So, again, 13, and some of those, most of those guys will be back next year. Most. Uh, Aaron Nixon, we do expect to sign. You know, and he's obviously uh, faced some SEC teams before. Uh, I don't recall if he pitched against us in Omaha. I don't think he did. But nevertheless, that's a guy that's played, you know, appreciable talent there in the Big 12. But you think about Brock Tapper. I mean, Brock got out there and competed. You know, uh, Evan Sierra got out there and competed. Logan Forsyth. You, know, you had some guys go out there that were really asked to do a job that maybe they weren't, they weren't quite ready to do. And that's not being critical of them. It's just a reality. You don't go sign a bunch of kids out of high school and expect them to come out there and fill out your staff and go compete in the Southeastern Conference in year one. I remember Sylvester Crone told me one time, he said, for every freshman offensive lineman you start, go ahead and write a loss down. Now, I don't know how that correlates to baseball, like what the math would be on that. But when you're having to depend on so many freshmen and a lot of first-year guys, and you listen, I'm a big Nate fan. I'm a huge Nate Dome fan, huge. And one of the things I love about Nate is Nate is willing to compete. Whether he has his best stuff or not, he is going to go in there and pound the zone and make you hit the baseball. And you know what? There were a couple times he challenged hitters and he lost. And he will be better for the experience moving forward. Uh, I've been told that uh, you know Nate is really working hard this summer. Uh, probably doesn't take, plan to take any time off. I mean, you're not going to see Nate uh, you know, down at Hangout Fest or anything like that. Nate is trying to get better for Mississippi State and for himself. And if you've ever been around Nate, as nice a guy as he is, that guy's an intense competitor. And I hope some of that rubs off on some of these younger guys. I really do. I think we're going to see a much more improved Nate uh, Dome down the stretch anyway. You know, Nate, uh, after the injury at Auburn, you know, I I don't know that Nate ever was fully recovered. You know, I mean, it's like you got to learn to trust it. If you've ever been injured in sports, you understand it takes a little while to think, okay, I can just let it loose. So I think we're going to see a much, much, much improved Nate next year. And then you've got guys like Bradley Lofton. You know, Bradley Lofton's a guy that uh, one of the things I've heard about him is that he has some discomfort a lot this year 
It wasn't necessarily pain, just kind of discomfort. And because he is such a tough kid, because he is such a competitor, he was just going to try to push through it. And then ultimately ended up having to have, uh, you know, season-ending surgery. Nothing is going to keep him out next year. But just think about this is a guy that was projected to be a first-round draft pick and turned down a ton of money to come to school. And he showed up and he wasn't quite right. Well, what's it going to be like when he's right? You know, a lot of those walks, I think, can be attributed to a lot of that. The fact that he had some discomfort. So, I'm not just going to sit here and say it all is reliant on the new pitching coach. I think getting some guys healthy and getting some guys back in the lab a little bit, now that they have a year of experience under their belt, is going to be significant for this program. I do. Now, there's some other guys out there, obviously, that I'm, I'm like you. I'm like, you know what, Steve, I hadn't seen it. You know, I just haven't seen any evidence. And uh, I'll remind you, too, what Landon Sims was uh, back in 20. You know, Landon, his first appearance was about as bad of a debut as I've ever seen for a Diamond Dog. Ends up being a first-rounder. Okay, so let's not just, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, oh, all these freshmen, they didn't come in and dominate, so I don't want them. There will be guys that will make jumps next year. And then, of course, Stone Simmons is back. Brooks Auger is back. Nate Williams, and again, that's a guy that hadn't pitched in the SEC yet, but that's a guy with, you know, really big arm talent. You think about those guys coming back. You think about the returning players making a jump, and then some portal guys coming in along with some uh, some pretty talented younger guys. And maybe those guys eat up innings, you know, midweek. Maybe they pitch uh, middle relief on weekends at times. Maybe they're you know matchup guys, whatever. But uh, we're recruiting at a really high level. But we've got to go out and get some dudes out of the portal. We have to. And you feel like, hey, if, if Gerangelo can regain his confidence, and we fully expect that. I mean, that, that guy, he walked a lot of guys late. I think a lot of that, too, is he just began to doubt himself a little bit. You get a healthy Lofton back, right? And then you go find maybe one or two guys and compete on the weekends. I, th- I think you feel a little bit better about things. I'm, I'm not sitting here trying to put lipstick on the pig. I'm just trying to tell you, when you see some improvement next year on the mound, it's not going to be just because of the pitching coach. That's big, but that's not going to be the only reason you see market improvement. I can tell you there are a lot of guys out there right now that feel just like you do. And, and the difference is they're, they're not just emotionally invested. They're personally invested. They're physically invested in turning this thing around. And they're working this offseason to be better. They're not sitting around pouting and saying, I can't believe we had this bad season. Let's, let's go fire a coach. They're saying, hey, what can I do to make this thing better? It's important to understand that. So I wanted to get that out of here, right out of the gate, that you're going to hire a pitching coach, but it's not going to be just because of that that you see better results next year. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I'm going to try to get in there this week, man. I've been kind of jonesing again. That's the thing. You know, sometimes I just want a BLT salad. You know, some days you just want to eat healthy, eat fresh, right? You know, some days you're just kind of in the mood for a cheap meal and you think, you know what, I want to go have a hamburger and some french fries or some onion rings or tater tots and just sit back and enjoy life and get a chocolate shake and not worry about anything else. And other days you're thinking, you know what, I want to be responsible today. You know, I want to have a very healthy meal and that BLT grilled salad can do that for you. Next time you're in town or near Bulldog Burger Company, I encourage you to go by and treat yourself to the fine cuisine that is afforded to you. At Bulldog Burger Company. We had a thread today on Gene's page. We've had some silliness here as of late. Uh, had a uh, pitching coach update turn into a uh, a foodie thread. It happens. 
And uh, somebody brought up the whole thing about Bulldog Burger Company. Like, hey, and they compared him to one of their chief competitors. And, guys, I think the votes were like 9 to 1 in favor of Bulldog Burger Company. The people have spoken. The people's burger joint is Bulldog Burger Company. So come join the cool kids at Bulldog Burger Company. One of three great locations to serve you right here in Starkville, University Drive, and, of course, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harper Drive, and Origin Flowwood area. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. Get that chocolate shake to go. Uh, the spring rolls will make you and everybody around you better looking. All right, Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, Justin Parker, pitching coach at South Carolina. He has been identified as a priority candidate for the Mississippi State job. Now, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, hey, that's going to be the guy. And, and if he is the guy, I'm not going to come back right based on what I've told you today and say, hey, I told you so. I don't know that he's going to be the guy. But I do know that he is a serious name of interest right now. And, of course, uh, he is a guy that uh, very well-established pitching coach. I think most of our insiders will tell you that uh, if we're able to land Justin Parker, and there's no guarantee we are, that's a home run. I don't think there's any question about it. That's a home run. Let's uh, kind of run down the bio here, and uh, you hear some thunder in the background as we have some, uh, you know, potentially tornadic weather headed this way. So I encourage you, you know, seek shelter if you need to. Maybe you're uh, sitting in the dark right now listening to the show. But uh, hope that you guys are safe out there. Uh, no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening in your life, always, always choose safety. Don't put yourself at risk. And that's coming from a guy that drives home at 3 and 4 in the morning regularly. All right, Justin Parker. And a couple years there at South Carolina, and a really good year this year. And the pitching staff's going to kind of turn itself over. And that, that's a concern as well. But uh, here's the deal. Parker is a guy that uh, understands what college baseball is about. This is a guy that, that has worked his way up the ranks. A guy that uh, played exceptionally well at Wright State. Did you hear that thunder? My dogs are like, hey, I'm coming to you. Everybody come up here and get under the desk. He was uh, all first-team Horizon League back in 07 and 08. Ended up being an ABCA All-Region player in 07. ESPN Magazine also picked him as one of their postseason recipients of the 2008 All-District Award. Uh, graduate of Wright State in 2012. Then was drafted by the Minnesota Twins in the 43rd round. That didn't happen anymore in the 2005 draft. Went back later and got his degree. Uh, originally a native of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And then later on, after uh, his college career was over, he was drafted in the sixth round by the Arizona Diamondbacks. So, again, a big, big deal there, right? I got it's drafted late, goes to college, and it's impossible now because you've got a more abbreviated draft. But he improved his draft stock and made a ton more money 37 rounds earlier just by going to college. Big deal. All right, after he was done playing pro ball, he went back to Wright State and then worked his way up. Wright State, Wright State, Wright State. And then you look up one day, and um, he's in Central Florida. You're putting together a freshman All-American campaign for Robbie Howell. Pretty big stuff there. Uh, Jesse Schlolton's a ninth-round selection by the San Diego Padres in 16. Robbie Sexton drafted in the 14th round by the Red Sox. Pretty incredible stuff. After he left UCF, 
you hear that rain in the background. Uh, after he left UCF, um, that's when he goes to Indiana and uh, kind of crosses paths with Chris Simonis and then uh, ends up at South Carolina. And if you look at what South Carolina has done this year, a 4.19 ERA is a team, which was second in the Southeastern Conference and 12th in the country. Jack Mahoney was a guy that was kind of on the trash heap of college baseball. Didn't pitch at all last year due to injury. Wins seven games this year, 17 starts. James Hicks wins 10 at the ERA at 3.48. Allowed zero runs in his uh, start in the SEC tournament and the NCAA Regional in uh, Columbia. Probably the biggest developmental piece for him is Chris Veach. We saw him when they played in Starkville. That guy is a dude. That changeup is next level. And it tunnels so well from the fastball. That's a mechanical thing. Obviously, Chris Veach has a lot of natural ability. But Justin Parker, I think, took him as a guy that was kind of an average pitcher and uh, has made him a dude. And if you watch South Carolina play this year, uh, they play with an edge. You saw them when they came to Starkville. Uh, some of that's Kingston, but you know those pitchers, they're managed by Justin Parker. Uh, so here's kind of where we are with Justin. The, uh, there is a decision to be made for he and his wife. And so I've got this on good authority that Mississippi State has had multiple conversations with Justin. I don't know that a formal offer has been made. I believe there probably have been some tentative talks about that. And I know that South Carolina is trying to keep him. I'm told by a South Carolina insider, they don't think that they're going to be able to match what Mississippi State would be willing to offer. They could get close, and maybe getting close is enough to keep him. Uh, Justin and his wife had a daughter, uh, had a child this year, bought a house up there. They've been renting for a while, from what I understand, decided to plant some roots up there. Now this situation comes along. People say, but Steve, why would he leave? Well, there's a lot of talk eventually that Kingston is going to leave South Carolina. He is uh, a priority candidate for the Miami job, former Miami assistant coach. And I'm told that uh, Parker is not the least bit interested in going to Miami. He's just not a Miami guy. You know, wants to uh, raise a family in a small town. You know, Starkville's a small town. It's a great place. I understand his wife really likes in Columbia. What's not to like up there? Uh, if you've been up there and been to a ball game, they got the five corners area or five points area down there. If you can find somewhere to park. Uh, but it's a cool little place. It's a nice college town. I can understand why people would, um, would want to live there. Uh, a little bit big for me. After living in Baton Rouge, I've, I've done my bit, my, my time in bigger towns. Uh, but all that said... This is kind of where we are. Justin Parker right now appears to be the leading candidate. Does that mean that he's going to come to terms with Mississippi State and become your pitching coach? I can't tell you that. I can tell you that he hadn't committed to anything yet with South Carolina. Of course, Mississippi State has some long discussions with him yesterday. I'm told he met with South Carolina officials, he and his wife both, uh, yesterday evening. And uh, they received you know, kind of an offer from them. This, this is what we're willing to do. And so they got a decision to make, and uh, we'll do our best to keep you abreast of the latest developments. Uh, I've talked to multiple people. Some think, you know what, I think he's going to take it. Others say, you know what, I don't think so. I think he and his family are happy in South Carolina. So I know that's not anything definitive today, and I think it's important to understand this. And I had a discussion yesterday with somebody else in the media we got a lot of people that want facts where facts don't exist, at least not yet. You know, it, it is a factual situation that we have talked to Justin Parker. 
It was a factual situation that we talked to Mike Silva. It was factual that Mike Silva had uh, kind of come to a verbal agreement with Mississippi State and then ultimately decided that he wanted to stay a head coach. And so his reasons are his reasons, and they all lead to the same place. He didn't take the job. That's factual. And people are like, oh, well, I can't believe that things change. Oh, God forbid things change. Things don't change in your life and your work. I mean, how many times has somebody told you this? I mean, if things never change, people would never get divorced. People would never change jobs. You know, if things never changed, I would, I would still have short hair and be in the retail furniture business. I mean, that's what happens. Things change in life. It's the one constant in life is change. And so we're going to continue to work this and try to get you guys some inside information as best we can. We can wait. You know, we could wait for the university to just name the coach and say, oh, here's your pitching coach and be done with it. But I think you guys deserve a little bit more. And I know at times that approach makes some people uncomfortable. But I don't work for Mississippi State. I cover Mississippi State. But I know there are some people that, hey, they don't want us digging around. They'd like for us not to call these agents and Major League Baseball scouts. I, I get it. I understand. And we would never do anything detrimental to the search. Not on purpose, anyway. But if we find out through our contacts that there is a candidate that's been contacted or perhaps they have interest in a job, we are going to explore that. We've got an obligation to you. I mean, you're not just going to sit here and listen to me, just read all the media relations releases. You want to know what's happening behind the scenes. What's the, what's the real story here? And that's what we're going to try to get for you. As I shared on Gene's page yesterday, you know, our batting average is worthy of the Hall of Fame. You know, the problem is for us, we want about 1,000. We don't ever want to get beat on anything, but it, it, it happens. It does. It's part of the deal. And so we're going to continue to provide updates as best we can. And, uh, you know, there's always a possibility that Justin Parker doesn't take the job. And then you go in a different direction. And, you know, we hope to be able to apprise you of that when that happens or if it happens. But there may end up being, you know, some dark horse candidate out there that uh, we haven't talked about. Uh, What was the case for Mike Silva? I mentioned him Sunday in connection with the Memphis job, but not in connection with our pitching coach job. So I was very surprised to wake up with a text Monday morning. Hey, it's going to be Mike Silva. And I I said, from Nichols? They're like, yeah. I said, well, I guess I should have asked better questions of my sources. You know, and then I have other people that say, well, you know, trying to protect this, and I get it. You know, we want to keep it quiet, you know, especially when you're out there competing with LSU. And the LSU job, I understand that they're having some difficulty as well, and they're in Omaha. You know, Wes Johnson left to take the, uh, the job at Georgia. I mean, he's still going to finish up his, uh, his run here at, at LSU. But, you know, they tried to get Mike Silva and haven't gotten him yet and may not. They've been in contact with Justin Parker from what I hear. And so that's an important aspect of all this thing, too, is, you know, we're out here competing for a pitching coach at the same time LSU is. And then if, uh, if Miami promotes them within, they may be hiring a pitching coach. So you start thinking, you know, some, some blue bloods of college baseball are out here looking for a pitching coach. And, and I submit to you in many respects, I think the LSU job is probably the best job in the country. From a head coaching standpoint, I don't know what it's like to work for Jay Johnson. You know, talk to some people that, that, that have and have friends that have, and uh, opinions vary. I got some other people that I know in college baseball that just love Jay Johnson. I think he's amazing. I'm sure that people would say the same about both of us. We all have detractors and we all have supporters. You know, but when you think about fan support, you think about attendance, you think about a university commitment, you think about the top scholarship, you think about their NIL package, I know it's your job probably the best in the country if you're head coach 
you know, I don't know how they treat their assistant coaches. I, I don't know. I don't I have no clue. But I know this, that it kind of convolutes things a little bit, too, that we're both out here, that State and LSU. And if you, if you began to look at this thing, I mean, unless you just have some personal beef with Jay Johnson, and would you rather pick a school that's uh, rebuilding or would you pick a school that's in Omaha? Well, that's what Paul Skeens did, right? And so you may have a pitching coach candidate that we all love that would be a difference maker for us. You may say, you know what? These are your softer ways to go to LSU. And that's not a criticism of LSU. It's really a testament uh, to the quality of their program right now. You know, people forget, you know, we went out there and hired Andy Cannizzaro away from them, but it wasn't a lateral move. This Justin Parker thing, if he elects to leave South Carolina, even though there would likely be more money for him, it's the same position. It is a lateral move. And you begin to think, okay, is this him kind of laying the groundwork just in case Kingston gets a Miami job to make sure he has a job where he can kind of say, you know what, hey, I'd love to stay at South Carolina, but if that doesn't work out, I've got an obligation to my family as the provider to ensure that we have a job that we're comfortable with, with people that we like, uh, in a town that we feel comfortable raising our family. There's always that aspect of it. And there are a lot of people out there, too, that are, that are working the angle to try to get a raise from their current position. It happens every year in every coaching search, in every sport. There's always people out there that want their name associated with a job, even if they have no intention of taking it. I do not believe that is the case with Justin Parker. Initially, I thought that might be the case until I spoke to somebody very closely connected with the South Carolina baseball program and said, no, that's not really the deal. Justin's not really that kind of guy. He's got an agent for that, but uh, that's not him. He's not playing the media game to try to get more money from South Carolina. But I understand he's making just over $200,000. Now, granted, he's not got the resume that Scott Foxhall did after winning a national championship. But obviously, we have proven that we're willing to pay considerably more than that. And one of the things that I have heard talking to some people in college athletics is, you know, South Carolina is so incredibly committed to women's basketball. And you know what? Good for them. Uh, Don Staley has built a national power at South Carolina where really not a lot of tradition existed. And so they're throwing a lot of financial support behind Coach Staley because they're competing for national championships. And some would counter and say, Steve, South Carolina has national championships too. Yes, they do. And when they did, and Ray Tanner was the head baseball coach, they didn't have all these resources allocated for women's basketball. And there's only a finite number of resources. I mean, people act like, you know, you just go continue to write a check. It's not like you've got some credit card you never have to pay. And there's only a certain amount of money in the budget. And so all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, if we've got to go double this guy's salary to keep him, you know, let's say we got to take him to $400,000 to get him to stay. Well, where do we cut? Whose budget do we cut? You know, there's all this Title IX stuff involved too, which, which is a good thing. I'm, I'm not an anti-Title IX person. I just think we've got to change the way we do some other things when it comes to scholarships. But this is a very real situation. I can't tell you one way or another what's going to happen because I have no clue what he's going to do. None. But I can tell you from multiple impeccable sources that he and Chris Simonis have had some very meaningful conversations. I had somebody tell me they actually met in person. And then my source of South Carolina kind of doubts the validity of that information. So I don't think they've done that yet. I think all the conversations have actually been over the telephone. Uh, as I've, I've cautioned some of my friends in the media, too, because this happens to me. I've been doing this since 1997. When I talk to a Mississippi State coach, whether they're up for a job or not, I know that they know that they're talking to a Mississippi State reporter. 
And in the event that maybe they are up for a job and they want to keep that private because they wouldn't want you guys to think negatively of them and say, this guy's looking to leave us. You know, people are just trying to advance their careers. It's not personal. And we take it personally a lot of times. Like, why, why? We think Mississippi State's the greatest place in the world. I do. This is where I want to be. But this isn't the end game for a lot of people. It's important to understand that. And so if they're up for a candidate as a candidate for a job and then they don't get that job, then they got to go back out and look you guys in the face. And so sometimes they don't want that information out there. And they don't want you to know how serious it is. You know, do you think that Jay Gotro, I mean, Jay Gotro's a guy that's been uh, you know, mentioned in connection with a lot of jobs. You think Jay Gotro, like if I went and interviewed Jake, say, hey, Jay, uh, Central Florida's hired a coach, but prior to that, you were mentioned as a candidate. What'd you think? Oh, I would have loved to have taken that job. And what are you going to think about him, right? And so you got to understand, they know when they're speaking to a reporter. And I've told guys countless times, no matter how friendly these coaches are with you, they're not your friends. They're not your friends. They lie to you. And there are some out there that may not lie to you, but they just won't tell you the truth. They'll just withhold it from you. And you know what? That's their right to do so. Not everything is for public consumption, especially when it involves your family and your salary and your ability to feed your family and pay your mortgage. And so it's difficult at times to get information. But people are not always going to – if somebody's thinking, okay, let's like say for an example, let's just take this Justin Parker situation. If he is leaning towards taking the job, do you think he's going to tell a South Carolina reporter? Well, he's not. He's just not. If Jake Gotro was going to take the Rice job a couple years ago, do you think I'm the first guy he's going to tell? Of course not. So you got to understand to kind of look at the nuance and all this stuff too. And that's not to say that Justin Parker's coming. That's not at all what I'm saying. So I don't want anybody tweeting me later. Steve, you said, no, I didn't say. I didn't say. All I've told you is that Mississippi State appears to have identified him as a priority candidate. They are pursuing him to replace Scott Foxhall. And I don't know how it's going to go. I don't. Because he's in a good spot now. And, I, and two weeks ago, I thought, there's no way. There's no way this guy leaves South Carolina the way they're rolling right now. Why would he leave? Especially for a situation that's rather, relatively unsettled, even though he and Lamontis have a relationship, right? You're going to pack up and move your family twice in a year? I mean, what if, what if he comes down here and things don't work out? You know, the one thing that I will say that I think is a bit of a drawing card. Let's say we go and we're number two in a regional next year, Right? Who do you think is going to get all the credit? You guys, you're not going to give Lamontis the credit. You may give Lamontis credit for hiring a guy like Justin Parker, as you should. But a new pitching coach that comes in here, kind of coupled with what we've already talked about, you got guys out there already working to get better, that have a year of experience. The guy that's going to get all the credit next year, the guy that's going to be the hero that is fan base and really around college baseball is going to be the pitching coach. And so if you're thinking about the trajectory of your own career and you believe in your abilities and you think you got some pieces to work with and you want to be a head coach someday, what do you think it means to go to a place like Mississippi State and then the first year you're there, you have them right back in the postseason and you got some dudes out there improving, you're developing. What does it do for your recruiting? It does a lot. And so where other people may see a challenge, maybe a guy like Justin Parker sees it as an opportunity. It's a much different dynamic. And I'm a competitor. You know, that's, that's just me. I'm, just a real quick personal story. I remember I was – everything was great. I was living life doing good, and I was uh, working in Natchitoches, Louisiana, and I had this little furniture store that was running like a sewing machine. It was. 
It's perfect. I had a great staff, had a great location. We dominated the market. I could have sat there forever and maxed out my bonus every single month and year and lived very comfortably and been very happy. And then an opportunity came up for me to move to North Baton Rouge and uh, run a store not too far from the airport on Plank Road, which is a very depressed area. The store has, uh, was a huge store. It had never been wildly successful. And I remember a regional manager telling me, Steve, if you want to be a DM, you're going to have to go take a problem store. You're not going to be able to sit here in a little cushy land where you know, stills of Magnolia were filmed and just sit back and, and do it. you got to prove that you can go handle a problem store. So what do I do? I said, okay, give me one. And they gave me that one in Baton Rouge, and I went. I turned it around and made it the most improved store in, for the, the district that year. And so I, I think real competitors probably think like I do. It's like, you know what? If you go in there and fix that, you're a hero. Or you can sit back and ride somebody else's coattails and just say, you know, hey, be a career assistant coach. There's a good living in that. But if you really want to be a head coach and you really want to make a difference in college baseball, you got to go figure out a problem store. And you've got a high-profile job like Mississippi State. Everybody's going to have their eyes on you. It's not like you're just, you know, languishing away at Miami of Ohio. You go to Mississippi State Baseball in the toughest conference in all of college baseball and you turn this pitching staff around, maybe shave a couple of – uh, runs off the earned run average and gets you in a regional somewhere, everybody's going to say, look at the job this guy did. Look at what he did. You get all the credit. That's an important aspect of it. You would get the credit. What does that mean for your career in the future? It's like, hey, Mississippi State won an AFL championship but then ran in a ditch and ultimately uh, cost a, a great guy, Scott Foxhall, his job. And the very next year, Justin goes in there and turns this thing around. At a place like Mississippi State, everybody's eyes would be on that. And so if I, if that, that's my pitch, if I'm talking to Justin Parker, he and I are sitting down over a, you know, maybe order a spring roll as a Bulldog Burger Company. I'm like, hey, Justin, here, here's the deal. You know, hey, if you just want to sit back and have the country club living, then, you know, that's cool. But if you really want to be a difference maker in college baseball, make a name for yourself, uh, here's a great opportunity for you. Or somebody else can do it. And then when that guy gets a head coaching job, the same job you interview for, we can point back to this day and say, hey, you had the same opportunity and you passed on it. In order to be a head coach in college baseball, you have to prove your worthiness. Period. So we always talk about some of these football coaches and you say, you know what, I don't know, I don't know if they would work well at Mississippi State because a place like Florida or a place like Ohio State recruits itself. You know, I need a guy that's going to be able to come in here and handle that stuff. And there's a lot of people that don't know a Mississippi State player when they see one because they've never had to recruit one, never had to develop one. It's an important aspect and things to understand, for sure. So we'll provide you another update. Hopefully, by Friday, we've got a decision. And hopefully, it's a positive one. And if not, we've got a new name. We've got to get this thing wrapped up. But it's important to make the right hire and not just make a hire. All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler is my friend, your friend, a friend to all of those in need. He is your mortgage guy. And the mortgage business is so convoluted at times. I mean, there's so many things you got to go through. It's best to have somebody to help navigate that process with you. It's got a ton of experience, and that's Blair, 22 years of closing loans. Top 1% close ratio in the country, back-to-back-to-back years. Why would you trust your business to anybody else? You can say, well, you know, Steve, I know so-and-so down at the bank. Maybe you do. And you know what? Maybe because they don't have a lot of competition, maybe you're not going to get the best rate. Maybe you're not going to get the best package for yourself. Maybe they're going to take advantage of the fact they don't have a lot of competition. 
But Blair Works at Fairway Mortgage, a very reputable mortgage lender, a national lender. So give Blair a call today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And uh, let him know you heard about him on the Boneyard. He'll be glad to know that. He has closed multiple Boneyard loans over the years and uh, continues to do so. And uh, the reviews have been fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Again, that's close at Blair.com. All right. So today we're doing rock songs that turn 15 this year. They're not old enough to drive yet unless they uh, work on a farm. And they're none of these are country songs. But I needed to cleanse the palate a little bit. I know some of you like country music. It's not really my thing. I let Roy do the thing. And I was like, you know what? I was, I was jamming some stuff earlier. And I said, you know what? I should build a list around this. What song was this album released? What year was this song released? So I looked it up. So you know what? I remember this. A lot of good years. A lot of good albums this year in rock. So we're going to do top rock songs of 2008. Now, my definition of rock is a little different from yours. Now, the most played rock song in 2008, it didn't make our list, okay? Because to me, it's just kind of alternative music. I don't even say it's alternative rock. Some of you will disagree, and you'll say, Steve, you're being a hipster. I think you're the one being the hipster. But it's uh, Use Somebody from Kings of Leon. That was the most played rock song of 2008. Not on our list, because I like people that actually um, play real guitar, okay? And uh, I like a little edge to my music. I like a little anger. I like a little resentment in my music. You may be different, and that's okay. When you order your soy latte at Starbucks, you know, you be sure and tell them, hey, is this the Kings of Leon Christmas album I'm listening to? Well, probably it is, right? Put on your little red and green sweater like everything is so dadgum lovely, right? I'm not judging. You can be that guy if you want to. It's not me. So here, these are my 2008 top 10 rock songs. All right, number 10, Mississippi's own Three Doors Down. Saw them in Brandon, man. It was fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Saw them with Seether, who's also on our list today. But Three Doors Down, I love those guys. I have from the very beginning. Uh, getting the chance to see those guys live down front, me and the homie Sam Denton went. It was an amazing time. Met a lot of you down there that enjoyed the show. Uh, Three Doors Down, been doing it for a long time, uh, representing Mississippi. And I'll tell you one of the things that I've always liked them. But after Katrina, I remember seeing multiple videos and pictures of those guys back on the Gulf Coast. Uh, filling up sandbags and helping deliver supplies and things like that. I mean, those guys are Mississippians, man. I don't know what their college allegiance is. I don't know, and I don't care. I just know that I'm proud of them. I am. And I'm, I'm not a Mississippi first guy. I'm not. I'm a proud Mississippian, but I'm not one of these kind of people that think I should just cheer for everybody because they're from Mississippi. You may disagree. That's fine. Completely fine. You may disagree with me. But when it comes to these guys and the career they put together, I'm very proud of them. It's, uh, it's not my time. That's your number 10 song today. It's not my time. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever, sorry folks, and also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real life cheat code. 
Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Thirds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. From three doors down. All right, number nine, a band that uh, I've seen before. And another time I was going to see them at the Lander Center in South Haven, and they no-showed, which has kind of become um, commonplace. Uh, West Scanlon needs to get it together. Their band, too, is probably tough to get them on a bill these days because you're not sure if they're going to show up. Maybe things are better. But um, number nine on your list is Puddle of Mud. And that great album, Come Clean, was amazing. It was. But we're going to go with the, the track Psycho. Psycho, number nine on your list. Number eight, it was a return to action from Metallica. When they released the album Death Magnetic, I loved the album. And a lot of people are like, Steve, it's just okay. I think you were thinking about St. Anger, to be honest with you, which is with the mix is terrible. And I don't know if you know this either, but... Um, the mix on Injustice for All, Injustice for All, the uh, the baseline is kind of screwed up. Uh, but nevertheless, I thought Death Magnetic was great. They got back to being Metallica, played these six and seven minute songs. I think Kirk Hammett was phenomenal on this album. And I'll be honest with you, I know many of you may disagree with me. That's okay. To me, Kirk Hammett is the driving force of Metallica. He does not get enough credit because he doesn't have the big personality like James and Lars. And I think the fact that he is a little bit of a, of a submissive kind of makes him uh, fit. I don't know if you could have another big personality within the band, but to me, Kirk Hammett is the driving force behind Metallica. You can disagree. That's okay. But I'm going to go with the great track, The Day That Never Comes. 
That's your number eight song today off Metallica's Death Magnetic album. Number seven. This is a band that's had multiple lead singers. Their big hit, everybody knows it from the EWF days. Or ECW, excuse me. Excuse me. Kind of aged myself there. Talking about our wrestling organizations. I guess I should leave it to Robbie and, uh, and, and Brian. But you know the uh, ECW theme song was Bodies from the great band Drowning Pool. My favorite Drowning Pool song came out in 2008, so it made our list today. It's number seven, the great track, Enemy, from Drowning Pool. I absolutely love it. The guitar is great. The vocal's great. Amazing. There's another great song on that album, too, called uh, Like We Do. It's great. If, you, if, you, if you're not familiar with Drowning Pool and you want a little, a little fist in your face, Drowning Pool may be just for you. Number six, a band that I've seen, too. Saw them uh, in Jackson at the Hideaway. It's a good night. Nine Point opened. I think Nine Point should have headlined, to be fair. But uh, I do like these guys. I liked them better when Austin was a singer. And he was on this album, Take It to the Limit. It's Hender's track, Use Me. She's going to use me, and I like it. It's good work if you can get it. Great track. Guitar's good. Vocal's good. Good party and band. Uh, you know, there's a couple guys in the band probably need to get their act together. But uh, Hender's Use Me, your number six song. Number five, we mentioned him earlier on the show. And if, if you saw him in Brandon, every time I've seen Seether, I've always come away impressed. Like, man, that was a great show. Saw him in Rocklahoma. They were absolutely amazing. I could have sat there and listened to him play all night. Even the deeper cuts I didn't know because the performance was so incredible. They were amazing. We saw him in Brandon. Great, great band, Seether. From South Africa, been doing a long time. One of my favorite tracks from them also out in 2008. It's Rise Above This from Seether. A great song of inspiration. A great song of empowerment. All right, number four. There have been times this has probably been my favorite song from this year. I love the album. I love the, vi- the video. Oh my gosh, the video is so intense. It's a band they used to call Revolution Theory, or Revelation Theory, excuse me. They're just Rev Theory now. It's a great track. The title track off the album, Light It Up. I actually recommended this to Mississippi State one day, and said this should be a song that we play at football on game day because it's got such energy and such edge. I think you'll dig it. I can see us running out on the football field with this. It's great. Light It Up, amazing. Number three. One of my favorite bands of all time, and I was kind of late to the party here because I, w- I wasn't ready for music to change. I've been reluctant in that way. But when the band Seven Dust hit the scene, I was like, I don't know about these guys. And next thing you know, I found myself in line to buy a Seven Dust CD. LJ, I've, I've met the guys in Seven Dust. Matter of fact, I've got a mall bucket hat. I'm looking at it right now. I wore it to Rock, Oklahoma one year, signed by the band Seven Dust. I retired that hat that day. I'm sitting here looking at it right now. It meant so much to me. Um, what's funny about that, that, that meeting is um, my wife and I are getting ready to go up side stage to watch Soul play, and LeJean Witherspoon calls me down. I think he and Morgan thought I was in a band, and everybody's like, hey, dude, what's up? You know, like – Kind of like that uncomfortable feeling, like I know I should know you. So I ended up getting to go to the meet and greet for free and uh, hanging out with those guys a little bit after. And I'll tell you this, there is not a more down-to-earth band in the world than Seven Dust. And they have they have no reason to be. Those guys are amazing. And uh, Clint Lowry, a guy that's uh, in recovery. If you don't follow Clint, if you're in recovery and you don't follow Clint Lowry, 
on uh, Instagram. Let me encourage you to do so. He does like a little gratitude list every day, and it really speaks to me. It tells me he's the real deal. He had a great album, too, called uh, Here's to the Renegades. And uh, love that album. Or God Bless the Renegades. Excuse me. God Bless the Renegades. It's amazing. Sounds a lot like Seven Dust, you'd expect, but he does a vocal on it. It's really good. But we're going to go with the great track, Prodigal Son, because here's a pop from my elephant gun. Prodigal Son from Seven Dust, number three. Number two, another band from Mississippi. Many of you may have forgotten about them. They're playing again together. Much of the original lineup is together. This was their big breakthrough song. We, we all gathered together in Tupelo. Remember this? We are all in Tupelo. And we saw Buck Cherry, Avenged Sevenfold, Shine Down, and Saving Abel open the show. And their great track, Addicted, is number two today. Addicted, number two. Number one, we just talked about them. They were a mid-level band back then on the great album, The Sound of Madness, which was a breakthrough album for them. I love the original. When we go back to the very beginning, Leave a Whisper, I love it. I love that album. That's that's the album that got me into Shinedown. I was on my way. Uh, My dad was dying in the hospital, and I was riding down the road, being called in to go see him. And the song Burning Bright from Shinedown came on, and I loved it. And I stopped in Macomb at the, uh, at, with the Edgewater Mall there, and I went in and bought the CD, listened to it on repeat. I've been a Shinedown fan ever since. From the beginning. And uh, I can't, you know, what's interesting, too, their A&R guy with Atlantic's also named Steve Robertson. I've had some bands that have hit me up on social media thinking I met Steve Robertson. I'm not that dude. Would love to be. But the big hit on this album that really was the mainstream breakthrough from them was the great track, Second Chance. That's your number one song today. Best rock songs of 2008. And little did we know, 15 years. Does it make you feel, man, 15 years since this happened? Yeah, 15 years since this was released. It's crazy to think about that. But we're getting older. And it's better than the alternative, right? It sure is. Time flies when you're having fun. I'm having a blast. Hope you guys are too. All right, here we go. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let us know. If you got feedback, if, if I'm wrong, feel free to tell me. I'll tell you that I'm not. But if you... Have some suggestions. Eric, times that people say, Steve, you blew it, you missed this song. And I was, you know what? Good call, you're right. So I enjoy the dialogue. But um, nevertheless, if you have a suggestion, reach out to uh, Roy on Twitter at dogmatic67, D A W G M A T I C 67. And you can find me on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. Our lists are uploaded to Spotify every day we do a show. And uh, Roy does that for free because he loves you, he loves me, he loves the top 10 list. And Roy loves music. And I appreciate all the things that Roy does. Roy's been a great friend to me. I appreciate his contributions to our show. All right, next segment of the show brought to you, as always, by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. If you know anything about Campus Bookmart, you know you're getting quality there. You're getting quality service, quality merchandise, at a quality price. Great people doing a great job for a great fan base. The best selection of Mississippi State merch in the non-universe. A lot of people make that claim. They back it up. The bully shop's been completely renovated. It's all upstairs now. You don't have to walk downstairs. Very easy to find exactly what you're looking for for the hard-to-buy-for Bulldog fan in your life. You can outfit your home, your office, your pet, whatever you need at Campus Bookmart. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal bond, your listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75, absolutely incomplete. 
Again, that's campusbookmark.net. All right, the SEC set to announce the 2024 football schedule this evening. Uh, that's probably by the time you listen to the show, it's already been announced. The one thing we did learn today is that everybody in the SEC will play either Texas or Oklahoma. So they're going to come in and get right down to business. They're not going to ramp it up and just say, okay, we're going to let you get your feet wet. No, everybody in the league is going to play one or the other. I'll be honest with you. I'd like to play Oklahoma. I would. I don't even really care about the quality of the team. I just like to play them for the novelty of the whole thing. Right? Wouldn't you? Be incredible. Mississippi State and Oklahoma have never met on the football field. In our history, we've never played Oklahoma. Now, we're going to play them. Pretty soon, we'll have uh, a regular uh, matchup with them you know, periodically. We've never played them before. I'd love to be able to go to Norman, Oklahoma and watch a football game there. Matter of fact, let's go there first. Anyway, I think it makes sense for us to play Oklahoma first. Now, they may pick Texas, and you may be aware of this. State and Texas have played four times previously. It is a 2-2 two and two record, thanks to Coach Jackie Sherrill. The last meeting back in 1999, remember that? I was in the Cotton Bowl after that great 98 season. We didn't play exceptionally well. But uh, I remember a, a pass interference call early in that ball game. It didn't go our way, and Ricky Williams ran all over us. We did a good job for a while. They beat us 38-11. Before that, <clears throat> the first meeting between Texas and Mississippi State back in 1921. The Longhorns won it 54-7, which was a very gaudy score, especially in those days. In 1991, Jackie Sherrill's first year, we beat them 13-6 here in Texas, in Starkville, and then repaid the favor. In 1992, we went to Austin, Texas, and beat them 28-10. Just when Texas thought they were done with Jackie Sherrill, he comes to Mississippi State, and he continues to beat them. So four meetings all time in a split. So eventually we'll play Texas again, too. It'll be good to go, to go to Austin. We haven't been to Austin as a program since 92. Not for football. So we're going to play one of those two in 2024. Another big change, too, that's coming is no divisions. I am especially happy about that. Because what are the chances that we get murderers row of the SEC West again in back-to-back years? You know, State's a better program, I think, than people give us credit for. And as I mentioned recently, I guess I was on the Stingray show. You know, you look at Kentucky, right? Everybody's like, hey, well, Kentucky's a great program. And there are some in the media that think, oh, well, you know, Kentucky's a better program than Mississippi State, even though the fact that, um, you know, we've actually had the better share of things over the last uh, couple decades. You know, the home-and-home uh, home situation has kind of uh, – been 500 or so the last six years. But I guess you go back to 16, we beat them, what, nine times in a row? And uh, since then, you know, we've struggled to win in Lexington. We get them in Starkville this year. But the thing that I point out, everybody's like, hey, Kentucky is so great. Okay, Kentucky all-time is 2-38-1 against Alabama. They have not beaten Alabama since 1997 when Tim Couch was a quarterback, and that was a barn burner of a game the Wildcats won uh, in Lexington, 40-34. Mark Stoops and Kentucky rarely ever go to Tuscaloosa. They went in 16, they went in 20, they went in 20 when we you know, had to revisit the schedule and play an SEC 
only schedule. But by and large, Kentucky doesn't have to play Alabama with any regularity. We do, or we have. So most played series in uh, SEC history, if memory serves me correct. Us playing Alabama, the greatest dynasty in college football history. What if we got to play Vanderbilt, Missouri, and South Carolina every year? Now, we'll get a chance at South Carolina this year, and Shane Beamer's got them playing well. Let's be honest. They're not what they have been. But during Mark Stoops' run at Kentucky, they've gotten the benefit of a pretty mediocre Tennessee team. Up until last year, Josh Heupel's got the Vols playing well. But for the better part of the last decade, I would say Kentucky's been better than Tennessee. But we, don't, we didn't get the benefit of that. We didn't get the middle of the road, Tennessee. We didn't get Vanderbilt every year like they did. We didn't get South Carolina, Missouri. Instead, we had to play Arkansas and Ole Miss and Alabama and LSU and A&M every single year. So us getting away from divisions is a very, very good thing for Mississippi State, as is staying with an eight-game schedule. I'll say it again for those of you that disagree. There is no benefit to the Southeastern Conference – much less Mississippi State, to play nine SEC games. And again, to clear up the record, I still see some people in the media that are absolutely oblivious to the facts of that situation, that proposal. It was the Power 5 mandate game that would have gone away, not the FCS game. People are like, oh, I don't want to see State play North Alabama Tech or whatever. Well, you know, we're going to continue to play, and we just wouldn't play Minnesota. We wouldn't play Arizona State. So you're not going to get any more entertainment value out of it. And that's a big thing. Well, the fans don't want to see these games. Well, you're going to see them. And you were going to see them under the new proposal too. So if we go to nine games, it'll be the Power Five mandate that goes away. And the fact that so many people don't know that uh, really is an indictment on them as journalists, to be honest with you. And I hear so many people uh, pride themselves on their professionalism and they don't know the basic facts that are presented to them in a release by the Southeastern Conference. But you're a journalist. Give me a break. You're a reporter, a fan-based reporter. I'm a fan of Mississippi State, too, but I know how to read. I do. Maybe that says something about your education. Uh, But the reality of it is is that uh, we shouldn't go to nine games. And uh, I've said before on this show that if we go to nine games, that's eight more losses to the league, which means there's a chance you're going to knock somebody out of a playoff spot because the playoff has expanded. There's no longer four teams, right? So now all of a sudden, when you get that team that's got a couple losses, they're still in the mix, but you add another week of SEC games, you're guaranteed to have eight wins and eight losses. If we all play the Power Five game, there's a possibility you can get 14 wins or 16 when Oklahoma and Texas join. That only adds to the strength of schedule for the entire conference. It doesn't help us to play nine games. There there is no benefit to playing the game, period. And you can't convince me otherwise. I've done my research on it. I've tried to work the numbers any way possible. And it's not just the fact that we we obviously need the four non-conference games to get eligible in rebuilding year to go go bowling. But I, I think it's a bigger picture. How do we pad the SEC coffers? How do we find a way to get more teams in the playoffs to add more money to our bowl revenue package? Well, it's it's not playing nine games. We benefit from that too, whether we go to playoff or not. It all goes into the same kitty. So the more teams that there are in the playoff, the better it is for Mississippi State, whether we're one of them or not. 
because all that ball revenue goes into a pot. We get a share of that. So the more teams are in the playoff, more money's in that pot, more money's in your budget. You want to build facilities? You want to be able to facilitate some things in non-revenue producing sports? Then you should be against the nine-game schedule. You just can't convince me. Now, back to the division thing. Everybody's talking about, well, we've got to maintain rivalries. I don't really care about that either. I don't care. This entire conference has been held hostage for the third, third Saturday in October for some antiquated notion that Tennessee and Alabama are rivals. They're not. Tennessee finally won a game for the first time uh, since Methuselah was a boy last year. And it was a great year for Tennessee. It was. But it was a rarity. You got an Alabama team that was good, really good, borderline great, wasn't one of the, the dominant Alabama teams. But the reality of it is, is you know, Tennessee was just better last year. But it took forever and a day to get there. It did. So as long as we play Ole Miss every year, I don't care about the rest. I don't care. I think you need to maintain the in-state rivalries. I think Alabama and Auburn should play every year. I think if you're looking from a TV package standpoint, if you want to go to the uh, 3-5 model where you have three permanent opponents and people wanted to do away with that in the past when we had divisions, maybe we can go back to that. And that way Alabama can play Tennessee and play Auburn, and Auburn can still play Georgia, which is a great rivalry too. But also, too, from the TV point of view, LSU and Alabama, I've, I've seen the numbers on this, I think three consecutive years, maybe even four, the most watched regular season game in America was Alabama and LSU. So you know ESPN wants that game. So maybe you, you figure that out. And so maybe you have three permanent opponents if you're Mississippi State. I don't care who they are as long as one of them's not Alabama. I don't care if it's LSU. If we've proven we can compete with those guys. Alabama's had our number. They have been. And I don't know if we're just playing the, uh, the logo rather than the team. But if we get out of playing Alabama every year, that is a great thing for Mississippi State. Great. Let's just go every other year, and Kentucky can get them the year we don't get them, right? That's the only way it's fair. There has been a lot of disparity in the schedule, period. I mean, by and large, you think, you know, for, for years, Georgia was the only team in the East that you really looked at and said, hey, we have a chance to beat them. And you look at what you've got now in the SEC East, now is a perfect time, an absolutely perfect time uh, to change the schedule. Because of the fact the SEC West is as dominant as it's ever been. The SEC East, there's a lot of parity over there. That's the truth. I think that's an important aspect of every bit of this. Now, all of a sudden, the East is starting to get a little bit better. And, uh, you know, the, the Kentuckys of the world, because all of a sudden, South Carolina is better, Tennessee is better. And so, all of a sudden, you see Kentucky kind of dipping down a little bit. Uh, Kentucky last year, seven and six, three and five in the conference. Three and five. And I guess their big win, you know, they beat South Carolina, they went four and four last year. But it's incredible what happens when all of a sudden, you know, Kentucky has to play in a division where teams can actually compete. Florida last year, three and five. And again, the four, four of the uh, teams in the SEC last year, in the SEC East, had six or more losses. How crazy is that? You only had three of those in the West. That included Auburn, who made a coaching change, A&M that you know, probably should have. 
And then uh, Arkansas went seven and six last year. And uh, if you recall, they uh, played most of the year without KJ Jefferson. You know, so it took them losing a starting quarterback to lose six games. And of course, the big loss at the end of the year to Missouri that we called on this show a month before it happened. You know, the West was just simply better. Vanderbilt got better down the stretch. Now their best their best players here, Mike Wright. So hopefully we can utilize him as more than just a gadget guy. Maybe he's a slot guy. Maybe we use him uh, in a variety of ways. I think Kevin Barbe knows what he wants to do with him. You know, but by and large, you know, the SEC West, just a better division last year. And there was a chance down the stretch, you know, that Auburn could have gotten to a bowl game. They just couldn't pull off the upset of Alabama. They went 11-2 and two last year, and we called it a down year. If we went 11-2, and two, we built a statue. But you may recall, too, Mississippi State finished third in the SEC West last year. Did you, did you know that? Did you, did, you, did, you, did you remember that? Third in the SEC West and the team that won the West, LSU, beat Alabama, and Mississippi State had the lead in Baton Rouge in the fourth quarter. We talk about that Kentucky game getting away from us and us kind of playing their, their ball game, and we did. But we forget about the fact that, you know, we had a chance – to get an LSU team that got better as the year went along. We had a chance to get them early and get a dub there. But State goes 9-4 and four last year. And you may have forgotten this, State had the fifth best record out of 14 teams in the Southeastern Conference last year. Went 9-4, and four, finished in top 20. I mentioned that a couple times. The only team, the only four teams that finished better than Mississippi State your divisional winners, Georgia and LSU, and of course Georgia won back-to-back NAFL championships. Tennessee went 11 and 2, a dream year for them, and Alabama 11 and 2. That's the only four teams that won more games in the conference than Mississippi State. Four. Just let it sink in for a second. It's true. And there were so many people last year, like, oh, you know, Mike Leach is on the hot seat. God rest his soul. We put together a good year. Went six and one at home last year. Two and three on the road. And then, of course, won our ball game. Ended the year on a three-game winning streak. So why wouldn't we expect to have a little juice coming in this year? And you start thinking about 2024. You know, we should be a better team. I think we I think we got a chance to be really good this year. But 2024, a, a better season. I mean, not a better team, but a better season because I think the schedule is going to ease up a little bit. And one thing you're going to do, you know, is you know, take the winning percentage and then kind of put these things together where, you know, instead of just loading up somebody's schedule with a bunch of uh, sub-500 teams, they're going to try to show some equity in the scheduling, try to balance the schedule out to make it a little fair for everybody. You know, back in 92, when we made the split, you know, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, State, and Ole Miss were all struggling, so they let us play each other to ensure that you know, a couple of us would get an SEC win. People forget about that. It's like, oh, you got to play Alabama and you got to play LSU and you got to play Auburn every single year, but we're going to throw, uh, throw you a bone here and let you play Kentucky. Same thing for Ole Miss. We're going to give you Vanderbilt. I, th- I think we got the better end of that deal. You'd say, but Steve, that's not fair. Look at what Vanderbilt's done against Ole Miss. Pretty nuts. But, again, that's going to come up at uh, 6 Central. So, again, by the time you guys listen to the show, it'll probably be known. And then we'll kind of talk about it a little bit on, on Friday, even though that's still, you know, a year and a half away. I guess less than that. But uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. 
But again, we know that we're going to play either Texas or Oklahoma. We know that we're going to play Ole Miss. We know that. So that's two, two of your eight right out of the gate, you know. So basically, you're just filling out the rest of your schedule. You know your non-conference schedule. And then we'll see. So I'm excited to learn, but I really hope it's Oklahoma just because of the novelty of it. I would love for all of us to pack up, go over there, argue over who's the most maroon, and go watch a game in Norman, Oklahoma. It'd be, it'd be great. It'd be amazing. I can't wait to drive. Was it nine hours from here? Let's go. Let's pack the car and go. I mean, you know me. I'm a road dog. I'm not scared to go. But the reality of it is, is the football scheduling model in the SEC is changing. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think they only got four or five votes for nine and I don't even know if they made that public. I'm sure maybe Ross Dellinger had it. I just didn't see it. But it really wasn't close. It really wasn't close. And, I, and to be honest with you, I think if they had given me the room, I could have had that measure voted down probably 14 to nothing, to be quite honest with you. It's just not in our best interest financially. It's not in our best interest competitively. There's a few people out there that say, well, this is what I want. Well, you know, you, you're not thinking through as you sit on the couch, you know. Well, I don't want to watch them play southeastern Louisiana. Well, that's we're going to play them anyway. We, we just won't play Arizona, as I said. But uh, I'm excited to kind of get this thing going. I know you guys are too. And uh, excited to talk a little football. We're going to talk some football recruiting uh, after the break. Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. If you are looking for a home in the Golden Triangle, look no further than Portico here in Starkville, Mississippi. Absolutely the best place to live. If you're not already here, and if you are, and you're thinking about maybe downsizing or upgrading, whatever you need to do, Portico's got a plan for you. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two under development now. Uh, most of those homes have already been sold, but some are available now that are in move-in condition. If you're not in any hurry and say, you know what, Steve, I want to have a say in my housing plans, you can pick out a lot. You can pick out a housing plan. Carrie and those guys will get you taken care of with a custom build. You got questions about Portico, reach out to Brooks Bryant. 601-416-8075. And uh, make Portico your next move. How cool is that? All right. Uh, we'll be back on the camp field tomorrow, and we'll have full coverage over jeanspage.com. I don't think anybody else is covering the camps, and certainly not like we are. Uh, Paul and I both will be there. I, I couldn't make it Saturday. I was without my vehicle, but I'll be out there on Thursday and uh, Friday, and I guess we're going to have camp on Saturday. Sunday's camp has been canceled, and I, we're not going to have a July camp, so I believe this is going to be it. I think that's it. Um, I have to double-check that. So we'll be out there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and uh, we'll have some biscuits for you. We'll have some bones for you. We'll have some pictures, some articles, uh, some things to kind of watch. P.J. Woodland, cornerback from Oak Grove. Um, rumors that he may be on campus today. I haven't been able to confirm that. We do think it's just a matter of time before he's a Bulldog. He recently released a final two of LSU and Mississippi State. Uh, he continues to tell me Mississippi State, Mississippi State has made him feel really good. Uh, Darcel McBath has been on him since the beginning of this process. And a lot of it goes back to the recruitment of Jalen Abram last year. I mean, this is a guy that they identified very early in the process and said, hey, we're recruiting this guy. What about his teammate? Let's go get him next year. And uh, had done a great job. Abrams got uh, you know, a lot of potential. I think Woodland does too. Different players. I think Abrams is a guy that could actually play safety for you. I think Woodland is very much a, uh, a corner. Good length. Not the biggest kid, but uh, right at six feet. Got good length. And uh, Will want us to put his head in there and stick the football. 
you know, got to get a little bit bigger. We said that about Emmanuel Forbes too, right? And you probably saw Reese when they're talking about him. He's just been an alpha dog out there, kind of being a QB1 or a CB1. Uh, Tavares Banks, that's a name too to watch. Uh, expected to announce his commitment in just four days. We do fully expect to be Mississippi State. As you know, if you follow us over at jeanspage.com, somebody put him on the commitment list prior to him being ready to announce. So we took him off. Uh, we took him off the list. And uh, just kind of looking at the recruiting rankings right now, you know, we all kind of feel pretty good about where we sit. Still some room to, to improve here. But the reality of it is is that uh, you're about to see a couple of four-star defensive backs join your class. Now, that's something you guys have been waiting for. It's like, hey, Steve, we need some headliners in this class. And, and, you, and you do. You absolutely do. But as it stands today, uh, Mississippi State, some room to grow. And uh, let's use the trusty 247 class calculator, shall we? You know, let, let's jump in here and get this bad boy knocked out here. We'll add, uh, we'll add Woodland here. Let's see here. If I can find him. P.J. Woodland, there you go. And then uh, Tavares Banks, we'll add him, and we'll calculate here. And you can do this yourself. It, you, you don't have to be a subscriber. You can go to jeanspage.com, part of the 247 Sports Network, go under Football Recruiting tab, and pick the class calculator, and you can put these guys in and say, okay, well, this is what our score would be. Currently, it's 146. However, you get up right almost to 158 with those two four-stars. Now, so then you go to the team rankings here and say, okay, well, where are we now, Steve? Well, we're just kind of safely right outside the top 25, right there at 29. Had some guys get some commitments. And uh, if we go to 154, that gets you right there around 27, 26. So we're moving up a little bit. But, um, you know, we, we've got a chance to post a top 25 class. Now, you've noticed, too, there's been some attrition in the Ole Miss class as Chris Davis and Picayune has left. And, and a lot of you guys were having to put up a lot of trash talk from Ole Miss people and things they were saying. Well, currently, as it stands, Ole Miss now behind Mississippi State in the rankings. State 29, Ole Miss 32nd. Uh, Ole Miss with nine commitments, State with 10. So it's basically a, you know, it's basically a push right now. But those that uh, suggested that Zach Arnett and his staff are getting left behind in recruiting uh, were people I don't think that fully appreciated the fact that uh, Zach and the staff had a plan. They're now executing that plan. Now it's time to clean up the green a little bit. Now you got to get your leans in the boat and kind of figure out where things stand and where you're perhaps deficient in your class. And uh, I've got a lot of confidence in Zach Arnett. I, I've been around him a lot. And I tell you, every time I'm around him, I'm even more enthused. I mentioned a while back, you know, about I'm out there picking up trash. Well, like the next time I saw him at camp, he's out there picking up trash, and so was Kevin Barbe and some of the GAs. It's like people are following his example. The leader sets the edge on the culture. It does. And if it's not too – if the job is not beneath Zach Arnett, it's certainly not beneath an assistant coach or a staffer or anybody like that. Everybody is responsible to take pride in what we have. And I think that's one of the things that is evident with Zach Arnett is he is very appreciative of the opportunity and very grateful to be your, your football coach. And he's going to take care of your program. And a guy that will get out there and pick up cups on the practice field, that's the same guy that's going to do a good job with your team. It's a guy that takes pride in what he does. And so I think it's important to understand that. So we're back out there at camp tomorrow. Uh, look for full coverage. I'm ready to get back out there. It'll be an abbreviated camp. Usually the weekday camps are just a couple of hours. 
So we'll count, they'll start, and we'll get there around 11 when they take the field for drills and uh, probably wrap up around 12, 30, 1 o'clock, kind of depending on how things look. And there'll be a few guys, they'll pull, a, pull away, and they'll go do a, uh, a photo shoot, you know, in the uh, Adidas shoebox. You see all that on social media. That's what they call that thing. It's incredible what they can do in that small space. But uh, be that as it may, be a busy day. So when I get back with you guys on Friday, that we will spend some time talking about what we saw at camp and uh, probably wait and do the Friday show after Friday's camp is over. So we'll have two days worth of prospects to talk about, and we'll preview what we expect to see uh, on Saturday. But uh, so far, it has been a successful camp season for Mississippi State, but we're not done. And there's some guys, too, obviously they want to see in person. Some of those guys will be in camp. And uh, a lot of underclassmen, too, just kind of coming up, earning offers. You've got some guys here as of late that uh, are in-state 2025 and 2026 prospects that are now claiming an offer from Mississippi State, and it's because of a good camp showing. So there's news to report every day when you go to camp. And a lot of times, too, it's, you know, uh, some young guy that's kind of making a name for himself. So we're going to wrap up the show a little bit early today because we're a little bit later doing it. And, again, I'll be back on Friday afternoon. Hopefully not this late. I know many of you like to listen to me on the way home, and I apologize for being a little bit later, but it's been a busy day kind of chasing down this uh, Justin Parker stuff to see what's true, what's not true, how serious the situation is, and maybe where do we go next if it doesn't work out. And I think right now we're all in with Justin. That's not to say we're ignoring other candidates, but it's important to kind of understand that it's a process. I know many of you are ready for this thing to be over. I'm ready for it to be over too. I love a good coaching search, but it takes up so much of my time and effort. It's difficult to produce content, and it pushes everything back. But it's the job. You know, I mean, I get to cover sports for a little What am I getting upset about, right? I'll share with you, too, that we are uh, finalizing the uh, cover on the uh, When the Bottom Falls uh, book, which is not a sports book, even though there's some, uh, some things from my life that are very much sports-related that uh, are covered in the book. I'm uh, starting Chapter 7. We'll be done with this thing, roughing it out by the end of July. And we hope to have it on the shelf uh, in October, maybe late September, just depending on how things go. But we'll have it out in time for the holiday season. And as you guys know, I've been sober 31 and a half years. And so this is kind of my journey, kind of growing up in South Mississippi and, uh, you know, being a soccer prospect and, and uh, spending some time in the music industry for a little bit. And next thing you know, uh, involved in some illegal activity and uh, went to jail, went to rehab, got out, met a wonderful girl, and got into recovery. And uh, been in recovery ever since. But it's not just about that. About half the book is going to be about living life in recovery. You know, learning how to process pain. How do I handle, you know, living life on life's terms? And I think that's a, a big part of this. A lot of times I read these recovery books and it's like, you know, there's 300 pages of how bad everything sucked. And then it's like, okay, we lived happily ever after. Well, how do I live happily ever after? What steps do I take to do that? How do I reach that goal? And so this is not some drunk log where I'm going to be out here bragging about all these women I slept with and all this stuff that I've done, but I'm going to be very transparent about it. And I've written some things now already that I know are going to make some people uncomfortable. And that's part of it, especially some people close to me. There's some things that happened in my life that people aren't, you know, probably not real proud of. And uh, I'm not trying to settle any old scores, but I'm, I'm going to put the truth out there because I'm trying to create some credibility with the still-suffering addict and the still-suffering alcoholic so they can say, you know what? I felt that way before too. I know what that feels like. So how do I fix it? So I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what I've been through. I'm going to be incredibly transparent. And I'll tell you one of the best things about this. 
is I, one thing that I prayed about is, you know, God, it's opened up my mind to these memories and stories that uh, I need to share that maybe perhaps that I've kind of buried away and maybe I don't talk about that often. It's been incredible. I've had so many people kind of come to mind that were friends to me at difficult times in my life. And so not only have I included them in the book, I found many of them on social media and said, hey, just check it in with you. You know I'm writing this book. I want you to know that you got mentioned in chapter four. And I want to thank you for being a positive impact in my life. And uh, this is a chance for me to kind of pay some of that back and say thank you. And there are some people that were not positive influences, and I'm going to change your names. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. It's not some tell-all book to settle old scores and grievances. The bottom line is this is about trying to give people a pathway to recovery and to say, okay, this is what I did and how I did it. And I've given this story in probably a 60-minute format I don't know, maybe 100 times over the years or more, probably more than that, I think about it, over the totality of 31 years. I've given my story, I don't know how many times. But I want to be able to document this too. I've learned a lot in recovery and I want to be able to share that with people. So uh, When the Bottom Falls will be out this fall. We'll have a pre-order page for you here pretty soon. And uh, if you're on Twitter or Facebook, you can go find a picture of the the proof of the cover. We're not completely finished with it, but that's... uh, Pretty good idea what it looks like. So things are moving along pretty good. It's been a very productive week. Uh, the wife's home, so we're taking some time to spend a little time together. And uh, and we'll go cover some camps together. And uh, look forward to uh, being with you guys again on Friday. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.